Good morning, everybody. My name is Adam Allen. If you don't already know me, I'm honored to be with you guys again and particularly excited. One, because I think what I have to share aligns well with what Tim shared last week about kingdoms and about Christ's kingdom, but also because, because there's a taco truck again. And it seems that each time that I share, there's a taco truck. That's good for all of us. I think there's multiple reasons for that. One, I think it's one of the only times I believe in providence, you know, uh, God's predestination. It kind of makes me question those things. And then uh, also it's probably to help me get done with the sermon faster is another reason. So but with that shared, I hope to be rather vulnerable with you today, vulnerable with you about where I come from, my, what I would like to refer to as my life before I became a Mennonite. And in that vulnerability, I hope to encourage you to also be vulnerable with yourselves with the Lord and with each other. Vulnerability, as you might know, I, vulnerability is a great strength. Jesus demonstrates God's vulnerability on the cross. And in that vulnerability demonstrates true strength. What it means to be truly strong is to also be incredibly vulnerable. So with that, I would like to enter into a portion of our passage, or I should say rather focus on a portion of our passage where Jesus says, if my kingdom was of this world, it would fight. I grew up with a very different understanding of, of this, a very different interpretation in which I understood Jesus to be saying, if only you knew, Pilate, if only you knew that my kingdom is a metaphysical, spiritual kingdom, and I have a, a limitless army that's ready to, to destroy you, if only I gave them the word. And this, is, this was the interpretation that I held on to for a long time. It's what made the most sense to me. My previous job, I think most of you know, but if you don't, previous job was, I was a prison guard, a prison guard at a maximum security prison. If you want to know famous people that I got to watch, I can talk to you about that later. But I, I still carry a bit of shame about that time. I'm grateful for the Lord's reconciling work in my life regarding that time. But there was a lot of transition that had to happen in my mind. And this passage is, is one of them for me. I was working at the prison and every year they assign you to come in for annual training. So you go in with a group of about 30 or 40 other people and you sit in a class for like 40 hours and it's kind of normal stuff, you know, policies and procedures. And then there's some very fun scenarios that you, that you run around with each other doing. And there's one gentleman who was in charge of training, who was incredibly charismatic. He was like a preacher in the way that he taught. And, and really, he was the only one that was entertaining to, to listen to. Everybody else was, was pretty boring. But he had a lot of respect from everybody, a lot of admiration for everybody. And when he spoke, he had so much conviction about what he was sharing. And he put up on the PowerPoint this phrase as he started his, his lecture that day. And I'm going to try to capture the same conviction. I warn you, I don't have the same conviction about this statement, but I'm going to try to emulate him. And he pointed at the board and he said, the only way to overcome violence is with more and greater violence. This was stated as if it was axiomatic to the universe. It was intrinsic truth to our world. And I heard this. And what was so challenging for me was that logic made sense. And if I wanted to win, I had to have more violence. I had to overcome the other person. But what I struggled with was my Christian convictions about what Jesus calls me to. I wasn't a Mennonite yet, but I had just begun seminary. 
I had just begun studying Anabaptist uh, literature. And even without that, though, this still uh, rubbed against my Christian beliefs in a, in a way that, that was very convicting for me, very confusing. So that Sunday, in interestingly, I had, I had just begun attending the, my Mennonite church in Fresno, and I had a good relationship with everybody there. They embraced me so uh, genuinely, very quickly. And I think part of that was because I'd entered in the seminary, as well as they even invited me or uh, allowed me to join their uh, internship program, which is a, a big deal on their part, since uh, I was in a job that was so antithetical to their beliefs. Uh, I think that showed a lot of humility and grace on their part. But I remember this Sunday, uh, right after I finished training, right after this gentleman had said this, and Pastor Gordon, uh, who I have so much admiration for, I don't remember what he shared in that sermon, like most sermons, uh, I'm sure like this one. Um, but I don't remember what he was talking about, what the first was. I just remember this wonderful coincidence in which he said, the world says the only way to overcome violence is with more violence. But Jesus calls us to overcome violence by breaking the cycle and seeking understanding through love and self-sacrifice, which is an incredible moment for me to wrestle with. So I enter into this passage, and in the Gospel of John, where this comes from, it opens with this hymn. And in the hymn, it says that the light came into the world and the darkness did not recognize it. That is that God entered into God's own creation, and God's creation could not recognize God. To the point, I will propose, that what God had to say to the world was so alarming, so challenging, that the only option was then to kill God. So I'll enter in then to our understandings of uh, atonement, uh, our understandings of what's happening on the cross. There's a, a popular understanding of the cross that's uh, often referred to as penal substitution theory. Uh, if you're not familiar with penal substitution theory, I'm, I'm sure you are, you just might not have heard it in those terms. But it essentially is an interpretation of the cross which says that the world is bound to sin and the only way to set us free from that sin is if God kills God's son. That's the only way to assuage God's anger. There is an analogy for this understanding of, of this atonement in which the analogy is a classroom, a rebellious classroom is, is acting up. And there's a very patient teacher that's, that's been long suffering with these rebellious students. And uh, there's only one student in the room who's been perfectly behaved. And eventually the, the teacher has lost his patience and he's decided to take corporal punishment out on all of the students. This is a very old school classroom, apparently. But he's going to punish all of these students. And right before he does so, the, the innocent student stands up and says, no, I will take all of the punishment. I, I will take it. And since I'm innocent, it is enough to pay for everybody else. And the teacher takes him up on this offer and, and you know, I guess violently punishes him. It's hard to conceive, but for the analogy's sake, we'll, we'll take it. Now, proponents for people that advocate for penal substitution theory would then say, look at how grateful we ought to be for this innocent student who took the punishment on your behalf. But critics of penal substitution theory say, yeah, that's great for the Jesus character in the analogy who has taken my, my shame or, or my, my punishment for me, but I'm terrified of that teacher 
the, the God figure in this analogy is a, a very scary one. Not only does this the God analogy, the teacher, want to violently punish everybody, but he's willing to do it to the only innocent child in the room. So there's a lot of flaws to this. And I propose, and many other Anabaptists propose, a different or, or a multifaceted understanding of the cross that doesn't limit us to just this understanding of the cross. And I'd like to enter into that with you as we, as we continue entering into this idea of if my kingdom were of this world, it would fight. So that is uh, with the Anabaptist professor, Ted Grimsrud, who wrote a book called Theology as if Jesus Matters. And about the same time as I shared earlier with uh, what was going on at the prison, with these, this teaching and what was going on at my church, I'd also began reading Theology as if Jesus Matters, in which Ted Grimsrud challenges the reader to reconsider their understanding of God through the lens of Jesus. And that is, he says, take everything that you've preconceived about God, namely omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, infinite, infallibility, and replace them with words that Jesus uses. And Jesus uses words like Abba, words that are relational. And the focus is not so much on God's otherworldliness, but God's imminence, God's presence. And then he says, and not only use the words that Jesus uses, but let's look at Jesus's life as a full demonstration of who and what God is like. And then we can understand scripture better. Now, Ted Grimsrud's uh, teaching is not anything new, actually. The, uh, I don't want to say ancient, but 500 years ago, uh, at the beginning of the Anabaptist movement, uh, Pilgrim Marpeck. Pilgrim Marpeck was a, an early Anabaptist thinker. And he said the exact same thing. He said, let's divine all of our understanding about God and scripture through the lens of Jesus. And to take this even further, or to, to, to nail it down even harder, however, whatever analogy is best for you, as I entered into seminary and I began my, my first course at a, at a Mennonite seminary, the professor had us each introduce ourselves and then share one word that we would use to describe God. So people said things like faithful and father, but inevitably omniscience, omnipresence, the omnis. And she wrote all of them on the board. And then she said, now tell me class, which of these are found in scripture? And I will circle them. And as we did this, the omnis and infinites were left out to which somebody rightly said, well, there's, they're implied at least. And she said, well, that's not the exercise. <laughs> And I think that that's a, a fair interpretation of scripture. So when we enter into John, we have God entering into the world as something that feels so foreign to the world because the way the world is supposed to work is to say he started it, to say that that person started it. The violence started with that person. In other words, my violence is justified because someone did violence to me. Somebody wronged me. And the only way to make it right is with more violence. When I began seminary as well, a very interesting thing happened. Uh, that was, uh, I was taking a class by Dr. Mark Baker, who teaches a class in which he, he spends a lot of time helping the student encounter the atonement and understanding this multifaceted understanding of atonement and reconciliatory justice. And he brought in a, a guest speaker, a former student of his named Ivan Paz. Ivan and I are friends now. 
But as Ivan began to share, it turned out that Ivan had paroled from prison at the same prison that I had just started working at the same year that I began working. So I, my ears went up pretty strong to what he had to share. <laughs> and it was incredibly convicting for me as he shared how he came to understand retributive justice, repaying violence with violence as something that he understood to be intrinsic to the universe. Beginning when he was five, when somebody in his family accidentally broke a window in the home and the father punished all of them physically, as if that was going to fix the window. In his mind, the only way to make it right was with violence. Ivan later joined a gang in Fresno called the Bulldog Gang and eventually found himself in prison. And in prison, that's where he came to know the Lord. And he described coming to know the Lord as a veil being taken away from him as he began to see how violence was used and how the Lord called him to something different. And he began to see himself as offering his life up in solidarity with them instead of returning with violence. At the end, Dr. Baker asked if anybody agreed. Now, this is where it's a little weird for me. Anytime I agree, I, did, I think I should just be able to say, well, I agree. <laughs> so he said, does anybody agree? And I said, I agree. And then Dr. Baker wanted me to keep talking for some reason. I, I don't see the point that I, I'm just going to say what he said. But I shared that I see it from the opposite side as well, that the guards also returned violence with violence in trying to, to quell the violence. They uh, were retributive when they felt offended by someone who lived at the prison. That's, that's something they did. They, they were vengeful about it. And that caused the people that lived there to be more vengeful. And it just went on and on and on. And this proposed that the, actually the only way to overcome it was then to treat people like they were human beings. And I began to approach, after this meeting, I been, then began to approach my job by saying to the people that work there, when they would do something inappropriate, I would say, I think you know very well that I'm the only person here that will treat you like a human being. And they would say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. This changed everything for them. The fact that I would treat them like human. Again, with this, these thoughts from Ivan, I was assigned to this, this post at the prison in which I was the only person with 40 other people and, and our job was to help to cook the food for the whole prison. And uh, it was very scary. It was a very scary place to work. And I started doing something that was also very scary. And that was at the end, I called all of them together in a group and to have a, a, a meeting. I called it a team meeting. And I remember the first time I did it, uh, it was scary because all of them were like, this is stupid, you know, and they're using a lot of cuffs words about how stupid this was. And after just a week, I could say, hey, team meeting. And they would all, team meeting, they would gather around. Because what I would do was I would spend time saying, I think we did great today in this area, in this area, in this area. These are all the things you guys did excellent at. When I was done with working in that post, uh, I dismissed them all. And this one gentleman stayed behind and he walked up to me and said, thank you for treating me like a human being. Now, this dismantled my understanding of how the world works with, with everything that I'm sharing. But what I also had to come to realize was that even though I myself had chosen not to participate in violence anymore, I was still participating just by showing up, which led finally to my conviction that I needed to leave. But I share these things to say that there are areas of our life still where we might perpetuate the cycle of violence simply 
by not seeking to understand one another and understand those people that we disagree with. You see, there is a, uh, a teaching within psychology by uh, Shirley Glass. Uh, Dr. Shirley Glass says that forgiveness comes when you can truly understand the other person. Forgiveness comes when you can put yourself in their shoes and understand why they made the choices they've made. And so when we look at the beginning of John, we have God becoming human and truly understanding why we've done the things we've done. And then continuing in God's kingdom identity, saying, if my people were of this world, they would fight. As God's people, they don't choose violence. We choose understanding and we choose love. Finally, in Jesus' example of what it's like to both be God and to be human, Jesus goes to the cross, unwilling to participate in violence, unyielding in solidarity and love. Jesus is on the cross, and he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is forgiveness that can only come from someone who truly knows what it's like to walk in our shoes, to go through and face the same things we face and still forget. I would like to leave us with this, and that's a verse from a, uh, a hymn, a Mennonite hymn that once again from this snippet of my life impacted me and helped me articulate this understanding. It's from a hymn called, it has two names for some reason. Uh, one is God of the Bible and the other one is Fresh as the Morning. Not sure why both of them end up as the name, but in the fourth verse, it says, not by your anger and not by your finger will I world change in a day, meaning God's anger, but by your people, fearless and faithful, small paper lanterns lighting the way. The world order, the cycle of violence can change as we participate in God's reconciling love and understanding, living it as an example as Jesus did of laying ourselves down.